Thank you everyone for uh, for being here. It's been an uh, an amazing ride so far, and uh, I'm hope I hope we have a lot of fun over the next couple of days as well. Um, my name is Eddie Vanderpart, and I'm running a impact venture capital fund. And uh, impact is uh, one of the one of the issues we have in this in this part of the world is that impact is sort of mal defined, and I won't. Don't bore you with definitions, but we think of impact as double bottom line investing or triple bottom line investing. So optimizing profits while at the same time optimizing another beneficial outcome. And that may be reducing uh, CO2 emissions, that may be in, in, in clean tech, that may be um, better patient outcomes in healthcare. That may be more more efficient use of resource in agriculture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we think right now that time is ripe to state unequivocally that you can actually optimize those two at the same time while preserving, this is the important part, while preserving um, a superior return. And um, interestingly enough, this week... Uh, gentleman by the name of Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, um, he writes, uh, every year writes a letter. And that letter has been sort of spelled out over the last number of years, particularly by every analyst, every macro analyst. I know that folks at ARS have been discussing this as well, uh, and a lot of other folks. Um, and this year, uh, he doubled down, as he did in the last couple of years, on uh, climate change as a extremely important, um, you know, change that needs to happen. And he said, look, we're not environmentalists because we're woke or something. Uh, we, we are environmentalists because we're capitalists. And um, another person of our group called John Denniston, he said that's sort of a triple upshift. And what he meant was, Customers will want this. Suppliers will want this. Communities in which we live will 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 want this. And therefore, if you are contributing to, in this example, a net zero society, you must be an impact company, and you're advantaged. And therefore, what what we try to do is invest in those impact companies because we think they are providing a superior return. Not all of them, but the ones that are good. And I think that's a that's a tremendous shift in thinking. Whereas a number of years ago, most people would have said, look, that's philanthropy or some portion of philanthropy or you have to sacrifice return. Uh, and we think there's positive correlation instead of negative correlation right now. Um and I know a number of the businesses here have met a bunch of folks already, and they have specific products that I personally think are really incredible and also are advantaged because their impact. So, when you big picture as well, sure. Hey, everybody. I just realized I'm not the CEO, but um, I'm the director of ESG and sustainability. Um, yeah, but I, I'm speaking for him right now. Thank you very much. Um, I, uh, I came from 20 years in the hedge fund industry dealing with, you know, floor traders that were, had an average of like 25 years on the floor, went to high frequency trading, 
Um, always dealing with brilliant trade thesis um, and to the point that Larry Fink actually made that um, we're basically coming on to the biggest opportunity in the history of mankind as we shift from linear extractive um, systems to circular and regenerative. Um, as an impact holding company, that's what we do. Uh, it's pretty exciting. It's kind of a bit different from um, mining out of the earth because when you mine out of the earth you have proven reserves and you have a decline rate. Um, what we're doing, we're mining carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, we don't have any uh, decline rate and we have unlimited proven reserves so we can just pull this carbon and create nanobiomaterials to basically create the raw materials for the next stage of modern civilization. Really excited about that. I spent a lot of time working with you know, sovereign, sub-sovereign groups. They're trying to figure out what to do with their waste streams. They're trying to figure out what to do with their carbon footprint. And as you're introducing uh, negative emissions, regenerative infrastructure, um, it's a game changer for kind of this transition and our addiction from um, hydrocarbons to biocarbons. And that's ultimately what we're doing. But from the big picture looking forward, um, the biggest opportunities are going to be in decarbonization and electrification. So you think, you know, you see Tesla just killing it. We're going to be seeing just a tremendous amount of opportunity in those spaces. And uh, that's, as an impact holding company, that's what we build and that's what we grow. All right. With big picture, I think, uh, Julie, you're, you're talking about ESG. You've been focusing on the G in some ways. Julie Kane, the CEO of Democracy Investments. Our strategy focuses on shifting capital towards more democratic countries and away from authoritarian states using a neutral third party. We use the Economist Democracy Index. So I think we all agree there's no consensus on how to measure impact. So that's one reason we've chosen to take that out of our equation and have a respected third party measure democracy for us. And the other thing that we do is we don't take any country out every country stays in so that we're incentivizing democracy as we get bigger. All countries will want to improve their democracy score to get more capital. So looking at incentive systems underneath all of these strategies, I think is also an interesting way to evaluate impact. So it, so we are, our, our portfolio tilts towards Norway, Sweden, Taiwan, Japan, Canada, and away from the usual suspects, China, Saudi Arabia, Russia. So our index has outperformed the market cap only. So we're market cap and democracy weighted. The market cap products that follow MSCI and FTSE, uh, we outperformed by 2.5% or more over the, over the last nine months. Thank you. I am, yeah. Okay, sure. Am I showing those slides or no? Um, this is the intro. Okay, cool. Um, so, so I spent, uh, I'm Ari Kaufman. Um, 
and I really wish that I was able to recapture that, that tan that I have up there on that, that slide, but you guys <laughs> disappointed me with this weather. Um, so I spent uh, 25 years in digital media marketing running internet companies, and, and I always joke that I use data to track everybody in this room online and get you to buy stuff without you knowing about it. Um, and then I decided to do something a little bit more meaningful, and I was, was invited to this 10-day intensive program uh, called 10-10-10. 10 days, 10 CEOs, 10 wicked problems. Uh, and they, they found 10 CEOs that have raised money, run companies, and successfully exited, so what you'd consider fundable uh, leaders. And they sequestered us into Denver. Um, we all moved into a house together. Um, they took over a WeWork center and um, presented us with 10 problems that we knew nothing about. Um, things about uh, what are, are, are obstacles to the evolution of cities. Uh, things about healthcare, racism, infrastructure, water, uh, utility. And uh, we had 10 days to come up with market-based solutions that would either solve them or break them and evolve them. And 100 people volunteered to help us. About 50 of them were people who uh, were combination trained in, in uh, lean design and Google Sprint process, people with finance backgrounds, product backgrounds, technology backgrounds. The other 50 were uh, industry experts. Um, you know, former CEO of United Healthcare, Secretary of State, uh, CEO of Denver Water, so big people, right? People who really knew uh, their industries with great Rolodexes and could really help us uh, in one-on-one meetings. And they volunteered anywhere from one to all ten days. Uh, very intensive program. Uh, we were introduced in front of an audience of about a thousand people. The ten problems were put up on the on the screen. First time we got to see them, uh, and then we just went to work. Um, I knew nothing about any of these problems at all, right? In fact, about four of them were about water, and I leaned to the, to the gentleman next to me, and I said, I don't really care about water, so I guess I'll look at the other ones. Uh, little did I know that that evening I'd start talking to the CEO of Denver Water and a few other folks, somebody from, from Flint, and I said, well, wasn't Ah, okay. And I said, well, wasn't that years ago? And they shot me daggers, right, with their eyes. Um, that, well, weren't you the guy that ran a bunch of companies and, and had some exits? I did. I'd taken two companies public. And so they just started flooding me with information. And one of the things that they told me about was that there are these, these 9,000 kids that they've tracked uh, in Flint since the, the catastrophe in Flint um, that they have found since their exposure um, to the, to the, um, the lead-contaminated water that have an inability to reach 80% of their IQ potential. Um, I'm on the board of Junior Achievement. Um, I'm on another group called Colorado Youth for Change, where we find kids that have dropped out of high school and we get them back into school. We get them to graduate. We help them get to college. So that's uh, entrepreneurialism and, and education kind of combo is a thing of mine. Um, so I got interested. And I thought, well, this is something I can get behind that's not getting people to buy stuff online without them knowing about it. And um, I started learning about it, and I got interested. And, and a couple of the problems that this program had to do with understanding what people are drinking and how do we solve for catastrophic events with water and data and transparency. I said, I can, I can work on that. And within 10 days, I had invented a product um, that enabled people to measure what was in their water in real time and find lead. Um, and we're going to go to market this year. It's taken us four years to make it. Um, we've raised almost $3 million and we're raising more. You're always raising when you have a startup. Always. Um, and it's a product that helps somebody measure the quality of their water in real time. Uh, we collect the data in real time. We share it with utilities. It's democratized and uh, 
we're going to find all the lead service lines across the country, which if anybody's been paying attention, you notice that uh, there's some money, hopefully, coming um, from, the, from the government to uh, extract the lead service lines across the country. So um, I have, actually have this on my phone, so I don't have to spin behind me. Um, if you look, yeah, I got it. Cool. Thanks. But, oh, oh, you're great. Thanks. Look at that. Are you coming with me? <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the issue with lead contaminated water, one of the things that I learned in this program was that Flint wasn't a unique you know, situation. It's actually an epidemic across our country. It's actually an epidemic around the world. It's 40 times greater outside the United States as it is just here in this country. But there are 4,000 cities across the country that have lead service lines. This is the, the pipe that goes from the street to the house. I am. I'm going to. Um, I'm going to do it in less if I can. Um, and these are the pipes that go from the street to the house. And this is the last mile. And there are 75 million homes in the United States that were built prior to 1986, which is when Congress said no more lead pipes. So we don't know which ones do or don't, but we just know that they might. And any one of them is capable of degrading and leaching lead into our water. So they all have to be examined to find the ones that do. There's probably 20 million out of the 75 or 30 million or 10 million. We don't know. But they all have to be examined. So when the original infrastructure plan was, was suggested having $60 billion, which has been watered down to $15 billion, um, that was so that we could investigate every one of those 75 million homes to find the 10 to 20 million. Uh, so it costs $6,000 to remediate a house. So that's $60 billion. So I'll just uh, switch that. Cool. So what I did, if you can flip the slide, we have data on every single one of these houses. We know where every single address that was built prior to 1986. We have 100 points of data. We know people who live there. We know their names, their address. We actually have social media information. So we have your usernames. We have uh, email addresses. We can find you online. Um, sorry, that's a digital media background. Um, so I, I pulled data on Florida. I don't know how many people are from Florida in the room, but I figured most. Um, so this is Florida's number 12 out of the United States in terms of worst states. If there's any Ohio people in the room, you're number two. Um, so this represents about 50% of the state, the top 10 cities um, or metro areas in terms of worst uh, population impact. Um, and so there's 3 million homes that need to be evaluated in just these 10 cities. All need to be measured. One by one, all of these cities need to have water sampled, evaluated, and then all those homes, the ones that are guilty, need to have all of their pipes uh, removed. Can you guys advance the slide real quick? Oh, okay. Oh, you're working on it. Okay, cool. Um, real quick, if you guys don't know what... You got it? Okay, cool. So it, this is not just low-income families. You can live in a really, really nice house, and if it was built prior to 1986, you may be drinking lead-contaminated water. It does not uh, distinguish. Um, so go to the very last slide. What does this mean from an investment perspective? Um, you can measure impact. We can measure impact, right? So if we replace 20 million homes, we've saved 20 million families. Um, what does this mean in terms of the development of um, new opportunities? When $15 billion comes down into a, uh, a space where all of these homes need to be evaluated and all of these pipes need to be replaced, you create new opportunities for innovation. You create new opportunities for um, new markets, if you will. All these homes, all of these um, 
Markets require planning, which takes at least a year. This is opportunity for new engineering projects. This is opportunities for the need for new labor, new jobs, um, new technologies like us, um, and a tremendous amount of need for product movement, supplies. This is a whole industry. Um, $15 billion is a fraction of what we need. So now we're talking about the need for financing, like this guy. Um, so from an investment standpoint, this right here is where all the opportunities are going to come from. And folks like us can measure not just impact, but substantial, substantial return. Right? So a company like ours introduces both. That's great. That's me. Talk about what scares and excites you quickly about, about what you're doing, and, uh, and, and, then we'll, and then we'll have this conversation again at dinner. Sure. Um, as a you know, civilization, we have about uh, 100 um, uh, gigatons of uh, consumer waste. It's just it's out there. 8.6 of that is circular. So that's the total circularity. There's a massive gap. It's called the circularity gap. So we've all been linear. Everything is just, you know, take it, throw it away. So I think that the biggest problem that we have is try to create this, you know, when we, we all live on this planet, when you can't throw things away when there's no away. So we have to kind of transition to a circular economy. It's the biggest problem we have because we're all addicted to um, hydrocarbons whether it be our clothes, our cars, or everything that's made around us. We have to transition from hydrocarbons to biocarbons. It's the biggest challenge, but it's also the biggest opportunity. I don't think that I'm necessarily scared about anything. I'm nervous. Um, I'm excited about the opportunity because it's you know, four years ago I set off on this journey, and, and it was ahead of the curve of what's happening, and now there's a confluence of funding and, and interest and broad awareness about the problem. Um, so I'm excited um, to, to be in a position to be able to deliver a solution that's going to um, be the precursor to solving a problem. So I'm super excited about it. I'm nervous um, because it's a startup and, and you know, it's you, you have to be able to meet demand that I think um, quite confident is going to explode. Um, and be in a position to meet the demand as it goes out there. So uh, that's that's part of being an entrepreneur. So you know you, you don't sleep a lot. You age much faster than you want to, and uh, hopefully your family stays together. <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, for me, what scares me and excites me is uh, this, the, the same thing, and that is the net zero challenge, what I call, like to call it. Larry Fink in his letter said that the next thousand unicorns are not social media enterprises or search engines, but sustainable innovators uh, and uh, companies that help the transition to net zero. And so that's extremely exciting for us because we invest in that stuff. Uh, but it's also scary because we're, we're not there yet. We're very far away from it and, and, and we have to help, all help. Uh, and a lot of people aren't on the bandwagon yet. So I wanna, that's, so that, that's, so that's both exciting and scary for me. Yeah, what terrifies me is the continued trends in the decline of democracy globally and the lack of awareness to your average investor of what's in their portfolios. 
Uh, West Virginia announced, the state of West Virginia recently announced they're no longer going to invest in BlackRock products because they've raising awareness on the fact that they follow these indices that have been over-allocating over time into authoritarian states. So that gives me hope. And also, European market, I would probably start there if I had it to do all over again, much more passion and awareness around uh, the trends. Uh, what scares me, uh, so I had a midlife crisis at age 35, decided it was a good idea to pay a million dollars to buy a brownfield building uh, which is pretty much everything I had left after getting divorced. And uh, a lot of smart people told me that this was a really dumb idea because you'll never be able to develop on the east side of Buffalo something like this. And I think the answer is, uh, or what excites me is, we took the risk, we found a replicable model. There's thousands of sites all over New York State. It's big enough opportunity that it just doesn't have to be me and people I know because there's way too many to do. Right. There could be 10 companies doing this sort of thing and nobody would be stepping on each other's feet for years. I'm hoping this isn't the third life crisis. Come join our 361 firm community of investors and thought leaders. We have a lot of events created by the community as we collaborate on investments and philanthropic interests. Join us.